We have, in the Word of God, an awful lot that we like reading. Now, I will give you an example. Um, Many of us enjoy reading those nice verses, you know, the ones that make us feel good. How many times have I heard it quoted, you know, um, you know, the one from Isaiah about rising up on wings like eagles. That always makes us feel good, doesn't it? Now, don't get me wrong. The Word of God is there for encouragement. The Word of God is there to lift your soul, to make you feel good. But there are aspects of the Word of God that don't make you feel good. And it's amazing how people seldom ever quote those verses of Scripture. But if we believe, if we believe this is God's Word to us today, not one single word from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, is irrelevant. If you start picking and choosing which bits of this book you want to follow, and which bits of this book you want to keep in your heart, then you're more or less saying to God, well, I'll I'll follow you in this, but I don't like that bit, so I won't do that. The subject of my message is honouring the Lord. We read that little scripture which some of you will know better from the movie Chariots of Fire. And if you didn't, you weren't paying attention. Just before Eric Liddell ran that race that he never trained for, that he wasn't supposed to win, but because he refused to run on the Lord's Day, he won a race that he had never, ever been fitted for. And a man stuck in his hand a piece of paper, and when he opened it, it said in it, from 1 Samuel chapter 2, It says, for those who honour me, I will honour. Now that was a nice sentiment that that fellow athlete gave to Eric Little. And he went on to win that medal in the Olympic Games back in the 1920s. And went on to be a fine Christian missionary. Sadly died in a Japanese concentration camp. Yet while he was there, all he could do was witness and prosper his fellow prisoners with the word of God and the gospel. But this is a problem because we have this habit of taking verses of Scripture in isolation. We take little chunks and we take the bits that we like. So, when we look at Scripture like we've just read, there came a man of God to Eli. Now, who was Eli? He was a priest. Not just any old priest, he was a pretty important one. He was used of God. So you'd think, why does this priest, a member of the house of Levi, the priestly tribe of Israel, why does he need a man of God to come and give him a message? You'd think as priests, they'd know it all. They'd be in touch with God. After all, daily they were offering the sacrifices. They were part of the very fabric of the worship of the people of God. So why does he need a man of God to come to him? Well, it's very clear. He's got a message from the Lord, and the Lord said, I revealed myself to the house of your father, that is of Levi, when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh, back to the days when they were in slavery under the Egyptians, before the great exodus, the crossing of the Red Sea, the wandering in the wilderness, coming into the promised land. There was that promise made to the tribe of Levi that they would conduct the priestly duties of the nation. He says, I chose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to, very interestingly, I noted in the overhead earlier, all the word my was in capital letters. 
The clue is in that my. My priest. To go up to my altar. To burn incense. To wear an ephod before me. I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honour your sons above me by fattening yourself? What had happened? Hophni and Phinehas, his two sons, as Levites, their job was to join the priesthood and be trained up like their father. One of the things that the priest could do when, the, when a meat offering was given and it was boiled in a pot, the priests were permitted to take some food from that pot by taking it out and having a little bit of food. By which time the sacrifice had been completed, God's work had been done first. But what were Hophni and Phinehas doing? You can read it in the Old Testament. You can see they were going... And they were taking the meat from the worshippers and saying, oh, before you stick that in the sacrifice, I want some of that nice fresh meat. Because it probably would have roast it or prepare it somewhere different. Don't like boiled beef. And so they took what was not theirs. God had not given them leave to take of the choicest cuts of meat to be sacrificed before he had had his worship and his due. And yet Eli, knowing what he knew, should have said, sons, you were wrong. Sons, you were totally out of order. And I'm going to stop you doing it. It seems he was a very weak man. He did not. He might have said to them, oh, lads, lads, this isn't right. He did indeed, you know. He can say, why do you do such things? I hear of your evil doings from all the people. No, my sons, it's not a good report I hear from the people of the Lord sitting abroad. But it says they would not listen to the voice of their father. For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. We're not talking about pagans here. We're not talking about Egyptians who worship false gods. We're not talking about Babylonians who worship false idols and Baal. We're not talking about heathens. We're talking about people who are supposed to be the priests of the living God and they are disobedient, and God has marked them out for judgment. It might surprise, I don't know all of you here this morning, but if any of you here this morning don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're not a Christian, having the life of the Holy Spirit in you, you may think, wow, this sounds like a pretty harsh message. Well, you'll sort of be pleased to know that the bulk of this message is actually aimed at my Christian brothers and sisters, and indeed at myself. You see, we have in the Word of God many warnings. You see, God says here, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength. Hang on, wrong button. Cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house. There will not be an old man in your house. He's basically saying, listen Eli, your family are going to live a very horrible life. They're going to all end up dying early. But yet... He says, one of you I will not come off my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out to grieve his heart. So even though God was judging some of his family for their sin and their wrongdoing and putting themselves before God, he was going to keep them alive so that they might see the results of their sin. God treats disobedience very seriously. He should do because it was the first sin. God said, don't do that. 
And Adam said, I will. Disobedience. Certainly as far as man was concerned. In Satan's case, it was pride. Both sins seem to afflict Christians as much as they afflict anybody else. That word resound through there. My altar, my dwelling, my offerings. God is a jealous God. Hang on, we're not talking about some little old man with a beard on a cloud. If you think that's what God is, then great. You're belittling him in your mind to try and make him less frightening. We are talking about the sovereign spirit ruler who is outside time and space, who encompasses this whole universe, who is too vast for you or I to imagine and is more powerful than you or I and never know because with the word of his mouth he spoke the entire universe into being. So you're going to argue with him? I certainly not. And this is his word. And it frightens me today how many Christians, we live in an era where Christians are willing to argue with God. Has God really said that? wonder who said that first time. I think it was some snaky person, wasn't it? But I hear Christians, or so, boy, they call themselves Christians, usually uh, big celebrity pastors, as we refer to them, sadly many of them coming from the land across the other side of the Atlantic. But sadly, because of their power and because of their wealth and because of their popularity and because they have primetime TV slots, we had the unedifying spectacle of watching some of these guys praying over Donald Trump. If you haven't seen the video... It's, it's literally cringing to watch. I didn't watch all of it. I only watched the first few moments and then thought, I, I, I can't put up with this. It's all about power and politics and the American way and it's got nothing to do with God. A lot of these guys don't even profess to believe half of this book. 500 years ago, men died because they realised the church had fallen so far from the truth of God's word that they sought to refer sola scriptura, scripture alone, this book. Yet now you go into a Christian bookshop and all you will get, I used to, I, I, I don't know if you remember, a couple of weeks ago I spoke about people living on spiritual, you know, in spiritual couch potatoes. We're not eating strong meat, we're feeding on the effective spiritual McDonald's. Well, I'll go even further. I think if you go in the average Christian bookshop today, it's not, it's not spiritual McDonald's that's being served up, it's spiritual sewage, some of it. Would you eat sewage? Of course you wouldn't. But it's amazing as Christians, we'll feed on everything. You go into a Christian bookshop today, there are exceptions, but you go into them and there are racks and racks of books on how to this and fulfil your life and make yourself better and how to get closer with God. And then there's a little tiny bookshelf down in the corner. What does it say? Bibles. Oh, well, we've only got a few Bibles in stock. I don't think a Christian bookshop should sell anything else. I appreciate it may not be commercially viable, but if you're going to run a Christian bookshop for commercial gain, you pick the wrong business. The thing is, we have to honour Christ by our calling. And what does the Scripture say? We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's who you are. You're a priest. So you think about this story from the Old Testament about the priests who defiled God's name, who took their own things ahead of God's things. Now you see why this is important to us. Because the Bible says you are priests. Right? It's not a question of Jerry's the priest and you lot are the lay people. Some people still think like that. I'm not a priest and you're the laity. That's a construct of man. And walking around in fine robes and funny hats doesn't make you a priest of God. Faith in Jesus Christ, repentance toward God, faith in his name, living with him as your saviour and lord, the Holy Spirit working out through your life, you are a priest of God. You don't have to go through the elaborate rituals of the Old Testament, giving animals and conducting weird and wonderful sacrifices. What does scripture say? I tell you what it says and I'll, I'll show you this in, in a moment. It says in Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise that. That's a sacrifice. Now I see many Christians actively involved in very good works. You know, I see Christian churches actively involved with helping the homeless, helping the poor, the disadvantaged, people who are on drugs, things. These are all good works, and these are evidences of the love of Christ being shown to people in the world. I don't despise any of that. But if that's all the church is giving, and it is abandoning God's word, and it is not abandoning the first things that God has asked them, then we're in big trouble. A couple of other men in the Old Testament. In Leviticus, it records how the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, these guys were priests, the first priests. And they brought a censer and put incense and fire in. Problem was, it wasn't the right stuff. You say, well, does it matter? It was incense, they meant well. No, God had specifically told them what they were to offer. It says, they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. In the King James Version, it refers to it as strange fire. It was something that the Lord did not know. It was not what he had asked them to do in worship of him. And because they were disobedient to that, they were judged on the spot. Fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. They died before the Lord. You say, this priesthood bit sounds a bit dangerous. I'm not sure I want to be a priest if it's that rough. You can defile your calling. It is so, so serious. You see, in Titus chapter 1, we read this, and this is frightening. Within the early church already, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, those who are preaching doctrines about how they should adhere to Jewish rites, that the scripture, we're told, we're not under the law, says Paul. They must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Now maybe these people were charging money, but I will suggest there are other ways that you can gain by teaching false doctrine in the church. Prestige, gathering folks around you, having a nice little clique of people who will defend your back, feeling important, getting your name in lights, all the things that feed the flesh, that feed the man. That's not the spirit of God working, that's you working. God says it's about my dwelling, it's about my altar, it's about my sacrifices. Are you insubordinate? 
The Word of God calls us to submission. It's quite frightening, really. We live in a world with a worldview and a climate at the moment that is anything but submissive. It teaches in every aspect of life. You can't be in submission. You can't submit. Question everything. Question all authority. And the problem is, this is creeping into the church. Because we're not listening to the Word of God, we're listening to what the world says. We're listening to the standards of the world. We're obeying what the world says. Because it sounds good. Yeah, that's all right. So when the world decides that sexual politics is going to change, when the world decides that the standard of marriage and the way a man and a woman perform within a marriage is going to change, which way do we go? Well, many of these wonderful celebrity pastors are saying, well, of course, what matters is the love of Jesus. Jesus loved everyone. Jesus would accept these people. Yes, he also told them to repent of their sin and turn from their sin and prepare for the kingdom of God. Yes, he ate with prostitutes. Yes, he ate with the quislings, the people who were considered despised and outcast by the Jews, the ones who collaborated with the Romans. Yes, he ate with the scum of society, but he preached them and they listened. And they heard him and they were converted and they followed him. He never said he accepted their lifestyle. He never said, well, you know, as long as we love one another, it will all be all right. Because his word condemns what they were doing. It condemns. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, I really hate that statement. He was anything but. If we make our theology out of the odd, uh, the odd old hymn, we have to be very careful because sometimes the words are a bit misleading. This is the man who could absolutely wreck a market in the temple. <laughs> who went through and destroyed the livelihoods of all those animal traders in one fell swoop. It was great. Think of them all there with their neatly counted out coins, knowing exactly how much they had earned and whose money was who. And the next thing they know, it was just a raft of coins on the floor because the tables all went over. You have made my house a den of thieves. Get out! And he took a whip and drove them out. The zeal of your house has eaten me up. That was Christ. And he was so incensed when he saw the way men were playing with his worship that they were selling substandard animals and trading and making profit out of the things of God. When a man says to his congregation, I need you to pray because I need $65 million for a new jet, he is not of God. He is not a shepherd of God. He is a wolf. And why do the sheep seem to like following wolves these days? It never fails to amaze me. We would rather follow priests who offer polluted sacrifices because they're cool, because they're interesting, because they've got a big name, because I can say, I'll go to his church. And they're as far from this book as possible. Do you own a Bible? Good. Do you read it? I don't read this anything like as much as I should. We should be saturated in this because there is only one book that you need to survive your Christian life on this earth. This one. 
And I'm not saying that there aren't helpful books that have been written by men of God that can help us to understand the Scriptures. I'm not saying that you can't listen to preachers expounding the Word of God. But we've got to be like those people from that town of Berea who didn't take everything the apostles said to them for granted. They went back and checked the Old Testament to make sure that what they said was right. And if it isn't in this book, it doesn't matter. But if it is in this book... It does matter. It matters enormously. You see, listen. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, I say and testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. I couldn't sum up Western civilization any better than that. Sadly, I think I sum up some of the Western churches. Not so far away, up in the north of our island, there is a Church of Scotland minister who publicly stood up and preached that if you say Jesus Christ died for people's sins, that's a wicked doctrine and it's hateful and we should never say it. I don't care whether he's called a Church of Scotland minister, that man is not a believer. He has denied the truth of God's word, he has despised the Lord, he is going to a lost eternity. We can't ignore these things. Yet because we want to be all so lovey and cuddly and we want the BBC to broadcast everything, we have songs of praise. I'm sorry, songs of praise turn me off these days. They really do. Because it's BBC Christianity. Bland, banal, and certainly not very Christian. BBC, there you go. It says, again... In Ephesians 4, they have become callous, given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Yes, this is the world we live in, but this is what happens amongst believers because we're sucking up the false doctrine, we're sucking up the teaching that says it's all about you, you, you. Is it about you? No, we just read it. Lord says, it's about me. It's about my work. It's about my worship. It's about my glory. And we are priests to proclaim his glories. You see, as I said earlier, your work. You say, well, what sacrifice can I give? At the very least, a broken spirit, a contrite heart. If you're broken in spirit, you won't be puffing yourself up. You won't be thinking a lot of yourself. You'll just be saying, Lord, here am I, send me. Lord, I want to serve. And I don't care whether, and nobody knows it. I don't want the acclamation of men. I don't want people to remember my name, but I want your name to be glorified because that's my job. The job of the priest was to prevent the sacrifice to the Lord. And that sacrifice had to be as God prescribed it. Exactly, to the letter, no change. And although our priesthood is a very different one to the Old Testament, it is a spiritual priesthood. And in many ways, far more wonderful than anything the Old Testament physical sacrifices could ever have proclaimed. All they did was speak eloquently of what Jesus Christ would do once for all on a cross in Palestine. Praise the Lord. You see, God has spoken very wonderfully of the reward of those who are faithful to him. The Lord has said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of your Lord. This was part of a story, a parable that the Lord told. About a man who sent out his servants to the work. 
And some did really well, and some did moderately well, and there was at least one who couldn't be bothered. Who more or less said, I don't really care that you gave me a job to do, Lord. I know the kind of man you are. It's all my effort, and you get all the glory. I don't want to know anything about that. It says he was cast into outer darkness. Judgment. But well done, good and faithful servant. And that was said to a man who amassed ten times what his master had left him to trade. And it was also said to a man who amassed five times what his master left him to trade. God isn't interested in you doing massive things. He's just introducing you, obeying his word and serving him to the best of the ability and the gifting that God has given you through his Holy Spirit. No more, no less. But you know what? We're fickle people. We're people who love entertainment. We're in the entertainment age. You can get it everywhere. It's instant, through your computer, through your TV, through your mobile phone. You can go a whole day and you could watch an entire series of Jack Bauer's 24 in real time if you wanted to. Because it's on Amazon Prime and I happen to know. Um, But the fact of the matter is, we're in the entertainment age. And it's in the church of God. It is the entertainment age. People want to be entertained. They want the things that this world has to offer. But yet, there is so much more. Because for the faithful one, you may not know Jesus Christ as your saviour this morning, so I'm going to say this to you. There is a wonderful promise in scripture for you too. Because the fact you are here, I trust, is because you're interested in the word of God. Because you have at least an interest to hear the message. I've spoken primarily to the Christians this morning. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your saviour, you cannot enter into this. Indeed, there is a very more serious path for you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your saviour, and it's not because I'm good, not because all the Christians here are goody two-shoes and ever so holy. No, the very opposite. The reason the Christians are sitting in this building is because we all realise we're pretty filthy, sinful people in the eyes of God. And we fail, and we do wrong, and we sin, and we are totally without any merit of our own. Jesus Christ, God's own Son, God come in a man's body, died on a cross, as a perfect sinless sacrifice so that you can have your sins forgiven. All you have to do is believe and trust and say, Lord, I know you died for me. I know your death is sufficient to cleanse my sin. I repent of my sin. I turn away from it. And I want to live for you, trusting you, because you are my saviour and obeying you and walking after you as my Lord. That's what we should be saying. If you are in any doubt as to how you should conduct yourself, in the church, I do suggest a reading of the letter of Paul to Titus. Again, it talks about submission. That's a dirty word today, isn't it? Submission in our society. No, it's all about self-expression and equality. Well, equality isn't really equality in most cases. Submitting yourself to the Word of God is something about sound doctrine. There are so many doctrines propounded in this world and they have very little to do with this book. Titus says, teach what accords to sound doctrine. Talks about older men and how they should behave. It talks about older women, how they should behave. It talks about young men and young women. It talks about masters and servants. 
And incidentally, those servants were being told how to behave to masters who probably weren't even Christians. There is a godly attitude that is totally missing from so many Christians, so many churches, because it's all about self-fulfillment and me, me, me. And yet the Word of God says, it's not about you. It used to be, God first, others second, me last. But this world says, me first, others second, God last. Assuming they even think about God in the first place. But what worries me is that that's creeping into the church. Take a lesson from Hophni and Phineas. They had polluted what they were doing in their job, that they came under judgment. Now as a Christian, you will never lose your salvation, but I do believe that your ministry for God can be compromised, can be ruined by you defying the laws of God, by defying the Word of God. You make the Word of God of no effect because you're following the tradition of men. Not the words of Scripture. And we're all priests. We have a solemn duty, a solemn responsibility to worship our Lord, to do and follow His command, to obey Him so that we can say, in a day to come, we'll stand before Christ and He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. He doesn't ask us to be faithful over much, but it seems ever so hard, doesn't it? Even that little bit He asks us to be faithful and we want to do our own thing. But He says, you've been faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. As Christians, we believe that. There's a day coming when Jesus Christ will unite all the Christians together. We'll bring them together at His return. And we will reign with Him. And we will enjoy His presence forever. Praise the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Saviour, I encourage you to look carefully into His Word. Understand why Jesus died. Understand what this message is that we preach. Understand that without the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you cannot be born again. But you have to come in faith and repentance toward God, acknowledging that your sin and the way you're thinking, your mindset, your life is turned against a holy and a righteous God and accept His love and His mercy and His grace in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus Christ as your Saviour this morning, take your priesthood seriously. Take the instructions of your priesthood. The manual for your priesthood is here. How will you live your Christian life? Will it be according to this book and nothing but this book? Or will you follow the ideas of men? Will you follow the shepherds or will you follow the wolves? Because there's a lot of wolves about. And they don't even bother to wear the sheep's clothing anymore. Praise God, we have a sure and steadfast word of God. We have this in our hands. This is a privilege. How many people have fought and died through the years to get, put this in your hand, in your language? It's a privilege you can't take away. Christians, I'm going to say this. And this isn't some kind of goody-two-choose comment. I genuinely mean it. It upsets me that Christians not only turn up to church, they don't have a copy of the Word of God in their hand. Why on earth? This is the most precious thing you've ever had. Oh, well, it's all right. The words will be on the screen. What? This is something that should be so precious we want to keep it with you. Do you have a copy in the glove compartment of your car? 
Hey, listen, we've all got smartphones, excellent copies of the Bible to be downloaded and read on your smartphone. There's no excuse. The Word of God is more available than it's ever been, and yet it seems we, we treat it very lightly. An old Dutch lady once said to me, I know Christians who've got poof, poof, bam, bam Bibles. And I'm, what? Poof, poof, bam, bam Bibles. She said, what do you mean? She said, well, on Sunday morning, they take it off the shelf and go, <laughs> to get the dust off. I've got some friends over in Canada who perform in a band and write some good songs and uh, one of them does say about the Bible sits on the shelf too long and you've been wondering what's gone wrong. Let's be men and women of the book, let's be the priests acceptable to God so that we may indeed one day listen for those words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter the joy of the Lord. Amen. Shall we pray? Now, God, we just do not know sometimes how, how we can be such unprofitable servants, so despising of your love and your grace, Lord. We live our lives as we want. We, we saturate our minds with trivia and things that are not of your word. Lord, we follow the men, and oh, Lord, we need to follow your word. We need to get back to this. We need to be Christians muscular in our Christianity and strong in our faith, Lord. We need to learn submission, Lord. Submitting to Christ. Submitting to one another. Wives submitting to husbands. Children submitting to parents. Honouring the Lord in all things. For as the scripture says, this is right. Father, we pray as men that we may not be arrogant like Hophni and Phinehas were, or indeed Nadab and Abihu, thinking they knew best, thinking they could conduct the sacrifices of God as they wanted. Lord, forgive us. May the sacrifices that we give be that of a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Amen. This is my